You're listening to the Inverse Podcast, where we explore how the scriptures can turn our world upside down. Or how it can be weaponized to uphold the status quo. I'm Drew Hart. And I'm Jared McKenna, and this is Inverse. Hi everyone, it's Julie Kerr here. I'm the producer of Inverse Podcast. I'm just popping in your ears briefly to let you know that if you listen to Inverse, this is simply our welcome mat to a wider community of people from all over the world. We connect throughout the week with Liberating Sunday School on the weekend that tends to focus on Indigenous texts and Subversive Seminary during the week which focuses on anti-racism formation. We also have an advanced anti-racism group who are currently studying the Africana Bible, a reading of the scriptures from the Vantage point of Africa and the African diaspora. We record these episodes in community and we'd love to invite you into this space where you can have a chance to ask questions and to participate by being part of our Patreon community. If you're one of our patrons, you can listen to extended conversations with extra questions included such as this. We saw millions of people come out for Black Lives Matter and millions of people come out for the Women's March too in 2017, you know, or at least hundreds of thousands in LA alone, you know, in 2017. But um, a coordinated strategy, right, that says, this is what we want and you have until this date to give it to us. (laughs) And if you don't, there are going to be no exports out of L.A. Harbor. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah. You know what I mean? Like it's that kind it's building that kind of capacity that I think that we're we're missing. I think that a lot of people think, well, if you go out to the streets and you chant defund the police enough, it'll happen like magic. And then M&Ms will fall from the sky. <laughs> <laughs> So we need we need a broad, strategic, disruptive, sustained, nonviolent campaign, right? That uses a diversity of tactics and keeps the pressure on the right targets until those victories are won. That's what I think. So that's just a little example of what you'll get if you're part of our Patreon community. All the information is in our show notes. Make sure you follow, rate, and review this episode in iTunes. But for now, enjoy the following episode. Dear friends, welcome. Our special guest today is our dear sister, Carol Nanga. Carol is the founder and CEO of the Kenyan-based Masingi Trust, which works to mobilize, inspire, equip, and network Christians with community leaders towards social justice, social activism, and social transformation. Masingi Trusts and Masingi Talks, a podcast that is based in Masingi Trusts, was birthed out of Carol's own practice as a community development practitioner and a passion to bridge the gaps between human rights defenders, faith leaders, and the work to end injustice and see communities flourish in healing and dignity. And she's also just our very good friend. So Carol, this is a delight to have you with us. Thank you. Thank you so, so much. It's such an honor to be here and to be in conversation with you, Jared and Drew. Well, um, we would love to know in inverse styles, what particular passage, because I mean, everybody knows you and yeah. uh, everybody uh, listens to you reflect on scripture. So you've got the whole canon open to you. Where are you taking us in terms of um, this interview and what passage you've chosen? I've, I've chosen uh, Luke 18. The, the person who decided to put paragraphs in the Bible puts Jesus tells the parable of the persistent widow. Mm-hmm. Yeah. <laughs> and w- would you like to read that for us in whatever language comes natural? And uh, then we might provide an English translation if, if you have not chosen English. <laughs> I've chosen an English translation. It's easier. <laughs> easier that way so you won't need the gift of interpretation no you will no um (laughs) so i'll read one day jesus told his disciples to show that they had that they should always pray and never give up there was a judge in a certain city he said who who neither feared god nor cared about people a widow of that city came to him repeatedly saying give me justice in this dispute with my enemy. The judge ignored her for a while, but finally he said to himself, I don't fear God or care about people. 
but this woman is driving me crazy. I'm going to see that she gets justice because she's wearing me out with her constant requests. Then the Lord said, learn a lesson from this unjust judge. Even he rendered a just decision in the end. So don't you think God will surely give justice to his chosen people who cry out to him day and night? Will he keep, it, will he keep putting them off? I tell you, he will grant justice to them quickly. But when the son of man returns, how many will he find on the earth who have faith? Mm. That's good. That's good. Uh, Carol, I'm, I'm so excited to have you on the podcast. I'm just, we're, we're thrilled. In fact, Jared and I have just been wanting to have you on for so long. So um, we're just excited to um, share you beyond just the kind of behind the scenes inverse community, but with the broader listening community. Um, and also excited to hear you engage um, with this text. But obviously, before that, I'm even more excited about hearing some of your story. So I'm really curious to hear, uh, when do you remember first encountering the scriptures? When do you remember encountering the Bible? I'm curious about the, those memories. I, I, I grew up, grew up Presbyterian. I think I, I should have grown up Catholic, actually, but then I grew up Presbyterian. My mom's side of the family is Catholic. Wait, 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 cow, cow. You ca- There's two revelations there. One, Presbyterian? Really? Yes. Two, yes. Catholic? Okay, you got to explain that. <laughs> yes. Right, you can't skip so, over that. <laughs> I can't just skip over it. So my mom's side of the family is Catholic, and so... So I don't know if it happens in your side of the world, but when someone gets married, you're married into the religion of the family you get or to the sect or to whatever of the family that you grow up in. And so my dad's side of the family is Presbyterian. But I think my mom used to take me to Catholic church because I'm the firstborn. So, so but I was still, she was still learning how to become Presbyterian. So she learned how to become Presbyterian with me. And so I went to Sunday school Presbyterian. I I got confirmed and baptized Presbyterian. And so I did a lot of memory verses. We did a lot of um, Sunday school choirs, Sunday school choral verses and all that. But I think there are two instances where I remember scripture. The one was during Christmas, the Christmas uh, plays, and where a friend of mine who, a neighbor, a sister, a cousin, <laughs> they are all one. She, I remember her saying her memory verse. I think it was from Isaiah, the one that says, and to us a child is born, and then to us a child is given, and the government shall be upon his shoulders that I remember that because I remember how she was saying it, but also because she died and how she died was really sad. So that's one of my earliest memories of scripture. And then, and also just to say that I, when she died, I was away. I was away. I was in Cape Town studying. And I remember in my soul feeling the gunshot because she was, uh, she was uh, shot by thugs. And I, could feel, I felt that gunshot in my spirit. And I knew someone had been shot. I didn't know who it was. And so I, I yeah, I, that's the first scripture and it's tied to her. But the one that I remember so vividly is I think in Jeremiah 2 about my people my people have forgotten this one that have forsaken me, the cisterns of, learn, of living water, and they've dug themselves wells with that have bitter water. And then, oh my gosh, and I remember I heard that at a funeral of my, my father's cousin who had committed suicide. So those are my memories of scripture. Wow. Thanks yeah. for being so vulnerable in sharing those particular passages as well and the, the very painful memories that they're connected to, Carol. When you think back on how you experience scripture both then 
and um, as your faith has has deepened to where it expresses itself now as um, uh, your work and how you spend your days, would you locate the scriptures initially as something that was uh, oppressive or something that was liberating? They were neither. They were something that we just (laughs) did. They were, they were something that you just did for Sunday school, something that you learned in high school during classes. They, I think for me, scriptures became liberative when I was in college. When mm. I, when I was, uh, I studied at Cornerstone Institute. That's when I saw the liberative aspect of scripture, and so for. It was just the thing that you did. It's you are Christian. You went to church. You studied scripture as memory verses, and also church was fun. So you used to go. It was an fun was what we went for church for, and then scriptures was the added advantage to it. Yeah. So I <laughs> I don't I don't remember I don't remember them being anything. On that, on that pendulum, yeah. That's good. I'm curious as you think about that journey and the different ways that you've encountered scripture, the way that it became more liberative in college. I'm curious about just overall, you know, like we're often very interested in, you know, just we believe that people's stories. Um, carry gifts for others. And so I'm thinking about your life. What, what from your experience do you think shapes um, your lens for how you read scripture? What, what, what might be a gift to others as you reflect on your own lived experience and how it brings you to the text? Um, I think uh, it was more, a lot of the formational, the liberative formational aspects of my journey Uh, was in college in Cornerstone Institute in Cape Town. And um, I remember two two teachers, uh, Dr. Nadine Bowers, and then uh, Rob Stegman. And one, Rob really, Rob introduced us to to Walter Brueggemann and uh, especially... I remember vividly when we learned about Psalms of Disorientation and how liberative that was. And we got to write our own Psalms. We got to cry. We we actually really had a whole lesson just crying, writing Psalms together and crying together in class. And then um, and then seeing the the disorientation so vivid and no explanation given to disorientation. Most of the times uh, there's, the, there's the tendency or the, the hope to explain away a disorientation. But when we did, when I was in college, most of my lecturers did not explain away. Um, they did not explain away in the pain. They didn't explain away the disorientation, the ambiguity. And I, I remember <laughs> there was another lecturer called Rob Steiner. He, and this might be very controversial to some, but in the first class, what he did, he took the Bible, to the, he took the Bible and stepped on it, put it on the floor and stepped on it. And that, that was jarring because why would you do that? That's God's word. It was, it, it jarred so many of us because then he went on to explain that we, that we carry, I can't remember the explanation and I don't want to say what he explained it so that I don't, I don't misquote what he said. But for me, what that made me feel was that you can wrestle with this. You can wrestle with what is on the in the scripture and there's mm. permission for that. Yeah. That's and you great. can agree, you can disagree, you can uh, and so if you look at my Bible, 
I I have I disagree with so many things. There's places I've like <laughs> disagreed. <laughs> no, like what were you thinking, God? So that college has taught me to college taught me to do that. Then in my community development classes with uh, Nadine, I learned to humanize scripture and put people and put God's word into people's situations and people's realities. So yeah, that was foundational for me, very foundational. That's so good. I love the disagreeing and that, I mean, you're in a dialogue, right, with scripture and you're wrestling with it. And I think that in some ways is a much more, it's a living faith engaging with the text in that kind of way, rather than just, I mean, when it isn't that often, it's universalized and imposed on people, right, in, in really ugly ways that are weaponized. And so, yeah, that's, that's beautiful. Yeah, and the universalization is always from the powerful to the powerless. And so mm. when, when we universalize scripture and the reading of scripture, it's always from the perspective of the one who, who's holding the Bible, the one who's most read, the one who's got the power. And so even though you want us to universalize, that truth cannot be a real truth because it's a truth from, and most of the times it's an oppressor's perspective. Mm-hmm. So, yeah. Carol, have you been doing your reading for our next subversive seminary? Have you been spending time with James Cone? <laughs> no, I haven't. I'm not. <laughs> that where we're going? I'm so excited then. It's um, it, it's one of the things that I learned from James Cone is that any any claim to universality that isn't particularly found in the person of Jesus um, is is a power play. Yeah, and uh, I, I hear that. I was wondering in terms of where your um, professor was going, whether he was going to talk about um, if this is the word of God and you're offended when we stand on it, um, why are we not offended when we, uh, like, offend the the image of God? Um, I I was wondering, was that what you're setting us up for? So you you really, uh, I I liked where you took us, that it was like, (laughs) no, I've, Actually, no punchline. Just sit with that yeah. and the effect that it had on me. Yeah, because I don't remember what he said, but I think... <laughs> you were still I, in shock. Yes, I'm still in shock so many years <laughs> But I think the opening to, to ask not uh, if this is... And I like where you're going with it, Jared, that why are we so upset with that but not upset when the image of god when we are stepped on you know mm, it's powerful when, yeah when people are oppressed why are we so so particular about the image the word of god but not about the image of god mm-hmm. yeah so wow yeah and and i know that your community development practice um uh, and not just practice, but your your study, you, you mentioned the humanising of characters, as in being able to see these as, as real people, even the parables, um, being able to identify and enter into the experience. So I'm fascinated um, that you have chosen this particular passage, and I, I'm, um, I'm so keen to hear you, you have this incredible way, and you teach me so much about truly... Um, faith and and what it is to trust that you're so honest about all the questions that you bring and I I think you get real answers because you you are that persistently honest with um, what goes on for you so I'm I'm looking forward to hearing um, why this text why why this passage what was going on for you in in lifting up this particular text I think for me it's because I always ask and this is my eternal question. When will justice ever come? Yeah. And, uh, and for, for this chapter, we see a resolution. We see justice happen in our lifetime. You know, um, uh, in the widow's lifetime, we see, we see a move of power. And not because of, of, the, of, the, just, of the judge's uh, good heart, but because of the advocacy. <laughs> <laughs> so 
No, because it's good. And I I really like that there's an honesty in the fact that he says, I'm not doing this because I'm good. I'm yes. I'm doing this because you're disturbing me. You're annoying. Yeah, which is is fascinating. I mean, Drew and I have um talked about this. I mean, even in relation to Andre's last episode and us discussing like the science of nonviolent social change. So often there are sentimentalized understandings of nonviolence that it's like, oh, we, we will we'll change their hearts. And of course, we, we want to be open to that. But that's not actually how nonviolent social change works. It's not because of change of hearts. It's because yeah. of social pressure. And, and the yeah. dynamics of like public shaming are a part of it. And that's in yeah. this text, <laughs> which is fascinating. Like it's- yeah, he's like, I'd rather be sleeping, you know? What I should be doing right now is asleep. (laughs) And so I think our call as activists is to make the comfortable uncomfortable. Mm -hmm. Because really they don't care. And I think that the illusion, and this is what I have to learn because I believe in the goodness of people's hearts. But the illusion we sometimes carry is that people believe in the goodness of their hearts as well. They don't think they do. So, um, so we need to, to make it inhabitable for the unjust. Hmm. Because they're making it inhabitable for us as well. Yeah. You see, unjust people are not affected by their policies. We are. And if they did, they would not. And it's only now that there's COVID that people want hospitals built in Kenya, like more hospitals, that they want um, uh, isolation units to be built because they they see that there's nowhere else to go. And so it's only when those with power are uncomfortable that they can make decisions and choices. It's only when we make them uncomfortable, that's when they can make the changes. Hmm. Yeah, that's so good. That's so good. And I, I mean, I think the emphasis that, you know, when people talk about what actually brings social change, that emphasis on the sustained and active part, right? Which sometimes gets a lot, I don't know. Like in, in Harrisburg, where I live, sometimes I hear people talking and like, oh yeah, that stuff doesn't work, right? Nonviolence doesn't work. And it's because they're like associating their mind like, oh, one more rally, right? <laughs> because of something. But it's like this one single event that they want to do that they hope is going to fix everything. And I love that you point to this text in the sense that it does point to the persistence and the sustained ongoing agitation, right? Um, and I think that we can lose sight of that both um, the church, but also just other folks working or want other folks that want change to not keep at it, not keep pressing, not being persistent, not agitating and annoying and doing what's necessary to, to bring change. Yeah. yeah. It is. It's, it's the consistent, it's, it's in the mundane, consistent organizing that that happens, you know, and we don't want that because we don't want to be needy as well. You know, we don't want to be the ones who are constantly crying out. You're constantly outside the judge's uh, window because it's dehumanizing as well. You're already dehumanized, but then to plead for your life, to plead for your dignity is dehumanizing because you see dignity is inherent. And so when, when people say, that we're just, maybe when they say black, black people are, are constantly, you know, organizing, when they say activists, no one wants to spend the whole day getting, getting scorched by the sun or the elements mm. or <laughs> yeah. getting arrested. Like, that's not all we want to do. We want justice. Give us justice, you know. Mm, yeah. yeah. Carol, I, I have so many questions. Um, yeah. But to, to make obvious what you're saying about why you love this passage is that it actually shows you a, a model that you deeply identify with. And yet Jesus says right at the start, um, he's teaching this parable to teach people to pray. And he chooses your context of um, 
somebody who needs justice being persistent in asking it, um, which I, I just think is really important to say for those who want to separate um, prayer from protest um, uh, or organising um, from the holy or the spiritual or however, um, Jesus brings them together even in his parables. In yeah. describing one, he describes the other and, and vice versa. I'm fascinated, though, as you've heard this passage taught um, in your experience in Kenya, who is identified with God and who isn't? Yeah, just before that, I think there's someone from Subversive Seminary who said that protest is prayer on our feet. I don't know. I have that written down somewhere. I think it's Naya. Yeah. Including Abraham Joshua Heschel. Yeah, yes. Someone say, sh- shared that, and I have that written somewhere. But who, who is God? Who is not? Um, I we've always God is the judge, as always. God is always the judge. Like you can never remove God from from being the judge in most of our readings. So it's always been that the judge is God, and so and and God, God doesn't respect God. Yes, and God doesn't, and God also ignores <laughs> people for a while, you know, <laughs> just for fun. God's like, yeah, I'm sleeping. Let me just keep on ranting, guy, on the side. So, so actually, Jared, the conversation we had with you before has just really turned everything in my head uh, in a beautiful way. But you know what? What? surprises me is that Jesus teaches people how to pray but also tells you go to the judge and protest yeah well yeah you know like this is how you should pray and never give up Mm. but also go to the judge and protest and so yeah, go I was ahead, just going to say, which is in part um, why I asked the question, because mm-hmm. I, I think um, I wonder if our Lord sets up the parable in this way because he knows that we associate um, our the archetypes that we've learned from larger society. Um, we naturally think um, uh, that the gods or God um, or the, the powers are on the side of the powers. <laughs> Yeah, yeah. <laughs> like um, the the um, uh, Roman god uh, Providencia, where we get the word providence, always mm-hmm. handed victory um, to the side that won, and so that's how you knew which side the gods were on because you just looked at who won. And I think that's so, even though that's so pagan, even though it's the spirituality of empires. Um, yeah. The fact that Christians borrow the language of providence and um, sometimes are subverting it, but often are just kind of saying, however it works out, right. that's obviously God's will. And Jesus deliberately grabs that from us and goes, let me tell you a story. And it's a story of one who doesn't honor God, doesn't know God, doesn't respect God, doesn't fear God, to use the Jewish language, is not in awe and doesn't live a life of wonder in light of who God is, and yet we still associate God with this ungodly judge who doesn't love justice, who is asleep on the job, who, yeah. who feels pestered. So uh, my, my question to you, Carol, is like, how, how come that comes so easy for us and there are other characters in the story and we find it so difficult to identify God with them? Because... because God can never be a woman in me. (laughs) Bingo. There we go. Yeah. (laughs) You know, so it's like, let let God be the unjust judge, but God can never be the woman in need. Which is amazing that that we want God um, to be this monstrous, lazy, unjust, um, heartless figure before we want God to be a woman. <laughs> be everything else but a woman. And in many ways, I mean, that f- it fits so well with 
how many people construe of God already, right? That um, God is in some so many ways an unjust judge. <laughs> like, I think that that's the God that many serve. So I think your point is just so powerful um, in terms of we're willing to, to impose God into this unjust judge other than rather than seeing God embodied through the actions and the life and the commitment of this uh, persistent woman. Yeah, that's powerful. Yeah, and then Drew also, if we pursue that, uh, then it would mean that God has is a widow, that God has no land. Yes, yes. God, people have dealt with God in a way that they've uh, they've disinherited her. Yeah. And what do we do with that disinheriting of God? Oh, wow. We don't, we wow. can't, we, we'd rather, we really would rather have God as a lazy judge than a disinherited woman. Yeah. Because one would deal, we'd have to deal with the fact that we are the disinheritors. We'd have wow. to deal with the fact that we've created systems and uh, we've created opportunities for the disinheriting of God. Mm. And we have to, to 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 accept that we'd rather sleep, rather be chilling with some uh, with some cocktails than deal with God uh, and <laughs> And and I wonder if um, a part of the insistence on the masculine language is assistant insistence on patriarchal understanding of power yep. and. Um, we want God to be all powerful. And even though this is the, the crucified and resurrected one who's telling us this story, we don't want to spend any time there at the cross. So we'll kind of see that as not a revelation of the kind of power that God operates in Mm. A, a power that is persistent, that doesn't give up, that continues to hound reality until reality stops being lazy, wakes up, and gets yeah. with the justice program. Instead, we're like, nah, enough of that Calvary stuff. We want yeah. God to be all powerful and will define power, not all vulnerable. Yeah. Power can never be vulnerable. We, mm. and, and it's cold at the cross. So we'd rather run away like Peter and hide. And then yeah. when the women come and tell you that Jesus is alive still, you, you doubt her. Hmm. without the women and so hmm. even i am sure if we had more of the of the of this story we'd we'd have reasons why god needed uh to be disinherited we'd make hmm. we'd make up reasons we'd make up uh conversations we'd say that um she had five husbands we'd say uh we'd say so many things we'd, hmm. you know she dined with sex workers. Yes. Spent her time with, with zealots, <laughs> tax collectors. Yeah. She was a blasphemer. Yeah. And, and Lady Pr- Wisdom, she even said that she's proved by what she does. So the proof of the pudding is in the eating. Crucify him. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah, so so it's, it's, it's real. And then I, I think... I think that the discomfort that gives um, quick justice is 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 also what we hear when people are saying they are destroying um, they are destroying buildings. They're uh, they're so you protect your capital, you protect your rest, you protect your 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 city because I think most of the times um, and sometimes. They give the judge, judgments quickly, but don't give give you justice. And so, most of the mm. time, you see this one resolved, but most of the time, the unjust judge has been bribed. Mm. The unjust judge is is capitalistic, is uh, is white supremacist, is is male is uh, mm. 
anti-LGBTQI. The unjust judge stands not on not on the reality of the unjust issues that are happening to the widow, to God, but on their on their prejudices. And so the reason this is, is a beautiful verse for me is one, it's the one that I've seen justice resolve, mm. but also a reminder that this is the one, the one story in the 99 stories. Mm. Yeah, yeah Kara, as you're saying that, one, one of the things that occurs to me is um, I think so many people miss in this story that we should desire justice <laughs> and that part, part of the story is like that, that how Jesus close, closes, he, like it's, he's so like realistic about the whole thing. Um, uh, I'm looking for it now. Um, However, will the human one, when he comes, find trust on earth? Or will the son of man, when he comes, find faith on earth? <laughs> There's a sense of Jesus going, so when this whole thing gets wrapped up, how many will have been actually down with desiring justice above yeah. all else? Or are we just so happy to live comfortable, safe, middle class yeah. Christian lives and not plead, not desire, um, not be found like this woman demanding. And I mean, I think it's, it's worth actually pausing and seeing that um, in verse three, grant me justice against my adversary. It's not merely that um, it's being worn down, but the judge is being shamed. You are a judge and Mm -hmm. her pleading is actually a public shaming, a disarming, mm-hmm. calling this judge to do what his job in, entails. And, and that this is actually a part of prayer, a, a shaming of all that which doesn't look like the world that God desires into mm-hmm. doing what they were c- created for until it's good news. I mean, yeah. that's massive. It is. And, and you see, it's, it's also that he doesn't care actually about about the fact that this woman is pleading you know he doesn't care that he's not given him just her justice he's his he cares about his peace of mind he's, he cares about the optics he cares um yeah about uh about it's really just like give her what she she needs and let her get out of my face that's it and you see he trivializes and this is also the thing for uh, for you and me or everyone who who is in places of power who is in places of uh of work of social work is that sometimes we trivialize people's needs and say, and I've done that when I was working with uh, people in benevolence spaces. It's like, oh my gosh, he has come again. The fourth, 10th, 11th time. Just get, give, give him the 20 shillings, the 100 shillings, give him whatever he needs. But, but you see it, we are also the unjust judges, you know. It's it's easy to to put those people in power as 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 them, but we also need to ask ourselves: When have I been this person? When have yeah. when have I done this? Yeah, that's that's really good. That's really good, and it it's interesting because I think and I, I appreciate that because it's a challenge for me because when I read this, like where I end up usually sitting with is, you know, towards it, you know, won't God give justice? He won't delay all that stuff and kind of wrestling, like, you know, is God going to show up? And then of course you have that contrast from what we want to expect from God. And then what Jared was saying, what God can expect from us, right? Will we be found faithful? But what you're flipping it back, having us reread again and saying, um, not only are we to think about, 
our own faithfulness and are we persistent and are we, you know, looking and seeking for God's justice, but also, yeah, how do we read ourselves as that unjust judge at times, right? The apathetic one. Um, that's a, a harder read that sees us also complicit, right? In mm -hmm. these systems and um, these forces at work and, that's also, even for folks that want to think of ourselves as working for justice, right? Mm -hmm. That we also find ourselves um, split with all different kind of motivations and attitudes in any given moment. And so that's, that's really helpful. Yeah. Yeah. And it keeps us humble because you have to keep remi remembering that uh, I am at one time the unjust judge. I am at one time uh, the widow. And mm. I... And sometimes at one time, I'm sure there were bystanders over there who were, who were mocking her because, like, oh my yeah. gosh, you know that this guy is unjust. This guy, will, yeah. nothing will come out of this. Yeah. You just go home. Wanjaku's in the center of town again, still harassing, yes. <laughs> harassing that judge. What's that sister always doing down there? Yeah. yeah. Which I think, again, I wonder if in part what our Lord is doing in telling these stories, um, uh, like to paraphrase, um, uh, if you who benefit from the system are quite comfortable with that, give good gifts to your children, how much more will God, who is love, give good gifts to God's children? And, and yet we, we continue to internalise um, that those in power is what we should desire. And God is just the biggest being in, in creation who has the most power. <laughs> right. That's so, a defining so, character. <laughs> yeah. So um, how do we know who, who God is? Um, because uh, God's got the most power. But like one of the things I find so deeply encouraging about this text is if God is like this widow, um, pleading with creation, which holds a power which is unjust until that power is actually thrown in the direction of justice. Um, to take seriously that vulnerability as a different form of power, as a different form of advocacy, as, as a different form of, of protest, and what it is to um, put our bodies on the line persistently so we become a living protest against the way things are until... Um, we, we see that healing justice start to run um, in our streets. Uh, suddenly, um, uh, we're not pleading to somebody who um, uh, we hope to one day be like, and then we can change the system. One day, I'll be an unjust judge, and then I might do occasional bits of justice. Um, yeah. Lord, like the takeaway from the story being, and that's why we should all hope to be in positions of power so we can be good to widows. That's not the... <laughs> and be <laughs> just judges. Like, <laughs> no, that's not it. That's not a point. Yeah. Yeah. And I think also when when I, I look at this, I always wonder why it's always easier, again, for for us to think when we are talking about the lost ship, the lost coin, we, it's easy. Like the lessons we draw from that are very different from the lessons we draw from this persistent widow. We, we'd rather be, we'd rather say that you work for the coin, but you don't want to work for the persistent widow. You, so you can say yeah. that the, the kingdom of God, but the, the widow is not the... The widow is not the uh, the kingdom of God. I yeah. So good. I, I think this text is so incredibly rich. And Drew, I'm I'm really interested in in your experience growing up as well. How how have you heard this text preached in terms of who God is and how God operates? Yeah, I mean, I think I've heard it a lot of different ways. Um, though I think. Often it's less emphasis on um, on who the judge is and things like that, but it's sometimes it's a, just a over spiritualizing of it. So that the only thing it takeaway is that you've got to be praying, you got to be persistently praying, and that's kind of like the one takeaway um, that people get. But it's kind of 
so that they use the, it's almost like, oh, Jesus just happens to randomly be using the example of justice, but it has not, it doesn't have as much emphasis. That's not the central point of it, right? And so it's kind of severing the specific particularities of the example Jesus uses from right. the call to pray, right? Um, yeah. And so I think that that's some of what I've seen, at least certainly in the past at different points. Um, but I've also seen a lot of folks tie it directly to justice and understood very clearly that this was, um, that those two things were intertwined and inseparable for one another. So I've been in spaces where both of those things have been around. Um, yeah, yeah. Carol, other than when you're preaching, ha have you heard it taught in similar ways where, uh, um, you know, sometimes J Jesus uses farming analogies. This time he's, he, he, he's thrown one one way for the activists. Yeah, I think I... One, I don't, I don't think I preach. I am I'm not a preacher. So your life I, preaches I all beg the to time. differ. I beg to <laughs> differ. That's right. <laughs> beg to differ. But I, I, I was actually looking at some um, uh, a, a writing I did, and um, and I was the writing I did was from the conventional thoughts of. Um, and sometimes because you know who you're writing for, you're trying not to stir the waters so much. And that's... Uh, that's <laughs> <laughs> so that, so they buy the next issue. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> so that's the problem. But I think for me, it's always been the conventional prey and then it's never connected to justice ever. And I've, I've just looked at it and it's like, so Jesus says pray and then comes directly to justice. And, and the connection between prayer and justice is never made, never made. Which is so strange. I mean, it's, I mean, you think about the Lord's prayer and all that. I mean, they're just so bound up in one another. I mean, but I guess once yeah. you're committed to a particular reading strategy, right, which is just um, yeah. divorcing the spiritual from the social realities that people yeah. live in, then I guess you can find that and do all kinds of gymnastics to escape, right? I mean, it's pretty, I always say it's yeah. quite impressive the way that, um, you know, we, the certainly Western Christian <laughs> tradition has uh, found ways to avoid, evade, skip, detour around um, the the call to justice. Um, it actually is a lot of mental yeah. work that has to had, had go on for it to become so normal and so commonplace now today. Yeah, and, and Drew, you have to do that because then if, if you if you read it from a justice lens, then justice will be expected from you. Right. So those, <laughs> <laughs> forbid, right. those gymnastics are necessary for the church to make because then no one will require justice from us. Yeah, yeah, that's right. Which I mean, maybe part of like if we're talking about committed to a reading strategy. Uh, there's no surprise for inverse leaders, uh, listeners that, um, uh, and leaders, I guess, that we have um, we have a particular strategy, and it, it's the the life of the Nazarene, right? So does it yeah. does this fit the reading that um, you've been um, sharing and opening up with us? Does it fit with Jesus's life? And I think the answer is yes. He yes. he is consistently the persistent widow, revealing to us the yeah. heart of God as a persistent widow. And he yeah. is never, ever <laughs> in the position of this, like, lazy, hard-hearted judge who likes yeah. a position but won't do his job. Right. Yeah. Yep. And, and, and we don't, and it's, it's amazing how we don't want to see it that way because we want to be the lazy judges as well. <laughs> you, want the, you want the power, the authority, the money, but not the responsibilities. Yeah. But you see, and, and maybe that's why, sorry, Carrie. But also with incarnation, I was looking at this in, this in the form of incarnation and how when we, all, we always want to be the judge and never want to incarnate, we are saying that what Jesus did was foolish because yeah. why, why, would, why would a person with all the power decide that 
this equality with God is nothing. So let me, let me, for the sake of God's, of God, of the people, come and be God with us. God be Emmanuel. Yeah. Be the, be the, the landless. Be the mm. women. Be the lost sheep. Be the lost coin. Mm. Always, always be the lost in yeah. to show us the the to show us that actually the heart of the father is always to find the heart of the father is always to to be with the least to be with the with the last yet the heart of carol is always to be with the first and the most mm-hmm. so yeah. when jesus comes to us jesus is saying the least the last mm. the ones without those are the important ones yeah yeah that's so good that's so good it reminds i was just thinking i had a i remember this was years ago um and i won't drop the name of the particular theologian <laughs> whose video i saw <laughs> i'll be kind i want to name drop but i won't but i was Other watching bad witness protection program Drew. <laughs> yeah i know right um so this was probably like 10 years ago and i'm watching this video it's a so i'm gonna half give away it was a black reformed theologian who um who was at that time very popular among white conservative reformed spaces and he there was this video where he was talking about race and he was talking about um privilege and white privilege so he was trying to talk about these things um but he gives exact and it was this most awkward conversation i've ever heard he so he talked about how there was some situation he just says in africa right so you don't know where but somewhere in africa there's some kind of injustice going on and and so some of his white friends uh, went to this organization and when they showed up, everybody like responded, right? And kind of because they were white and in that space and they all responded to him. And so they were able to use their white privilege to get things in order. That was his takeaway, right? And he was using that as a positive. Like that was what he was saying, like, this is a good thing. Um, and all I could think after I had watched that video clip was like, like, something is terribly off with our Christian imagination of who God is and how God works in the world and what God is calling us into. Right. That, I mean, precisely everything that you've been talking about, Carol is embedded in this. I mean, basically it's like re embedding white supremacy, but for good. Right. Like that's what that's, that's the best that he could come up with was, you know, let's celebrate when white supremacy is trying to dismantle justice every now and then a more benevolent, benevolent white supremacy. Right. Um, And can't fathom this God that enters in um, embodied in vulnerability and weakness and that lives um, and embodies the life of this persistent widow, right, who who does not give up uh, fighting for justice. And so um, it does have... See, that, that's the problem with your theory of change, Drew. <laughs> like, we just need Christian unjust judges. Yeah. And Christian right. unjust judges, they're going to change the world. Like, they're we all just need world. to be Christian unjust judges. And the other thing, Drew, is... Um, you and I peaked too early. We we should have become Presbyterian for a couple of years. <laughs> got, and then switched got a over. Big crowd yeah, and, yeah. and then switched. Like yeah. us us being there for two decades, it's it's not helping. Like it's... No, that doesn't help. <laughs> but again, you're gonna, you're gonna like, get us in um... trouble, Jared, but that's true. <laughs> <laughs> but I, I, I wondered oh, I'm being cheeky. Um I'm usually more behaved on on the podcast. Uh, I wonder if this is why our unjust judge idols we cling to so much as well, mm. because ultimately um, how we want to do our, our Christian revival for justice still works with unjust judge um, as our understanding of power, not the persistent widow as our, our model and paradigm for social change. We don't want a God who, and, and again, to go back to um, that point, d- does it fit with the life of our Lord? Look how he teaches us to pray. And we so sanitize um, the, Jesus's prayer or the Lord's prayer or the Our Father that we totally miss um, uh, hallowed be thy name 
um, is a Jewish way of saying, sanctify your name. Um, it, it's what the, the martyrs prayed as in God, come and make your name holy because your name is not respected. So come and act in the world. It, it's, it's a shaking of God's cage until God acts. And Jesus commands us to demand of God, you come and make your name sanctified. And we yep. think that, hey, I, I better, um, you know, big props um, to the big fella upstairs. That's nothing what it's got to do with. It's, it's you come to God as a persistent widow because God is a persistent widow demanding mm. that you. And so then we get caught in that, like, God's desire for justice. Yeah. God commands in Jesus that we demand of God for God to come and act. And in doing so, we get sent out to act as God is acting persistently for healing justice mm. that sounds amen. like jesus amen <laughs> amen <laughs> amen and and then also it would it would also lead us or require of us to expect justice from god you know yeah expect justice from systems and so when we ask how long, Lord, until you turn your ear from to us, you know, yeah, it has the freedom to to ask, have you forgotten us? Yes. Why, why, why have, why do we come here every single day? You know, why am I coming here every single day? Yeah. And so, then sometimes we would need to 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 question with is God being unjust as well. That's right. Is God an unjust judge? Because yep. why is the DRC the way the DRC is? The yes. And that's the Democratic Republic of Congo. Why why are native native people in the name of God uh, taken away from their land? And yet yeah. these people are praying constantly. Why are yeah. the Kenyan Christians, the widows, the women who... who, who do 96% of the agriculture but own only 6% of the land. What's, what's that about? Yeah. So God, are you also the unjust judge? And that's even a hard question because we can ask what's happening in Palestine? Yeah. Why yeah. are you choosing? If this is what it is, why have you chosen one side and said that the babies of the others, it's okay to kill the babies of the others? Yeah. Yeah. And Carol, I think you're bringing us into exactly what Jesus is doing in this text, is that it's, it's, a, it's a form of gentle exorcism of our images of God. Mm-hmm. So he, he names these, these images of God that we have internalized from these systems. Because what is the answer to how long, oh Lord? Yeah. Is God, is, <laughs> like, is God going, let's give it another five years. I'm thinking five years. Actually, what I really want is for more people to care. So I'm, I'm just going to hold back for a while. And, and we miss that um, th- this is actually opening up like the, the shared psychological dynamics of what it is to lend our energy and for our energies to actually start to imitate what God longs for, what God desires. Mm. In, instead of thinking that God is holding back for some reason. I just don't think we, we really believe in prayer nor do we think that god is holy so we want to say actually god is completely involved so it's not the cobalt in in my phone that's causing the injustice in the democratic republic of congo the the fact that there is an ongoing war that my iphone actually um, works because of and my life is so comfortable um, instead of thinking of those realities i'll just say that well it must be for some greater good so we don't make god holy we make god completely complicit in the injustice that we take as like, yeah. <laughs> my friend Rajiv texts me today, Carol, you'll like this. And he was talking to a Palestinian mate and um, uh, his mate said, um, uh, I've, I've read the Bible and I just don't think God is into real estate. <laughs> <laughs> Yet you talk to so many people and how they f- feel about the issue is that human rights, human dignity, the image of God, uh, it's like, hey, don't stamp on the Bible yeah. while we like turn a blind eye to people stamping on the image of God. But it's so that um, history can turn out right because God, our yeses and our amens aren't fulfilled in Jesus. Uh, prophecy isn't fulfilled in Jesus. Actually, 
modern day nation state in 1948 needs to be established um, for uh, God to make the world turn out right. So we'll like, you know, $3.8 billion in US military quote unquote aid. And yeah. th this is the justification to make sure that um, God is sovereign. It's like, mm -hmm. what is going on theologically for us? But we're so committed. Anyway, I'm ranting. Yeah. Yeah, I think, I think also we need to, to sit with the question because when we are talking of this is we need to not quickly resolve and say that God might not be the unjust judge and, and sit with, with what it means for the Canaanites when their land was taken away, what was all that? What it means for for the people in uh, in Kenya when uh, when their land was taken away for tea and coffee to be planted and sugar to be planted. Yeah. When they see, and most of the times identify with uh, with the children, the Israelites, but never with the Canaanites. Mm. And I wonder if that is the is that the point? Because what if we are the Canaanites? What if we are the ones who who um, who are seeing these random ten men scarring our land? These two men first come, and then they see that we are giants, and then there's another ten men come, and that's that's the African story. Yeah. Two men first came, they were anthropologists. Then the 10 came, they were the colonialists. And the 10 have never left. Hmm. This kind of brings full circle to your, when we were talking about like, um, what from your experience, right, has shaped how you engage the text and your willingness to wrestle and ask questions. And I think in many ways, this, passage does invite us to wrestle with who is God, right? Um, yeah. It does lead us right there um, to wrestle with who, um, the character of God and, and, and is God at work? And if God is at work, how is God at work? And what does that mean for us and our own lives? And if God is this good God that is challenging, that is not like the unjust judge, um, what does that mean for the kind of lives that we live? Will God, will we be participating in what God is doing in that justice? All of these questions are there. Um, yeah. And in many ways, they're my life questions in terms of, you know, I mean, I've said in other podcasts that I have sometimes this kind of dialectical kind of tension between, you know, um, wanting to only talk about God in terms of God's presence and activity um in this conversation when we're talking about like process theology and things like that right uh, yeah. and on the other hand wanting to also lean into the mystery and transcendence of god that there's something more at work god is bigger than that right and that and and to confess even with the own black church that raised me that god is able right <laughs> how do i hold yeah. both of those two things um and what does that mean when we do see right i don't know for me um just still so many so much ongoing oppression and just pain and suffering in my own community um how do i hold all those things together i mean it's tough right yeah. um and i think I, I guess what is interesting about how it ends the finding faith on earth the is this is the way that it is embodied it's expected like who's embodying this out who's mm. living this out and um mm. And I think when I do think about what encourages me and gives me hope, right? It's precisely, it's my neighbors that are embodying it, that it, right. I can see God at work in my neighbors, right? Um, and, and see that God has, is not this unjust judge and is at work actively still liberating and fighting for good and, and standing and in presence and accompanying those who are um, hurting and suffering. And so, I don't know. That's some of the tensions that I think I feel when I read this text, and certainly with some of the questions that you've raised, Carol. Yeah. Oh, man. Oh, man. Carol, I can already see um, the number of uh, questions um, for people who uh, are joining us live. And of course, for those who are part of the Inverse Patreon community, all that can be listened to uh, as well. Um, but I just want to thank you for the ways that um, you contribute to this community. We, we love Masingi Trust and 
its work. We love Masingi Talks and its voice. Um, we're so thankful that when we think of um, people who are imaging God in the world by knowing that prayer is seeking justice and demanding it in such ways that unjust, lazy, hard-hearted judges go, oh, my goodness, that you're one of the names that they call out. Oh, that Carol. So we're, we're deeply thankful for you. I'm wondering, um, for those who are ending uh, now just with the, the podcast and not with the extended Q&A, would you mind praying for people? Mm. Man. <laughs> okay, let's pray. God, our mother, um, mm. who hems us in, who answers our questions, who wipes our tears, who hedges us in the fire comes. God, our sister, who wipes our tears when the cisterns are broken, when the water is bitter, who gives us fresh water. Even when we forsook the clean water ourselves, God, the refugee who seeks a home in our hearts, I pray that you will hear, that you will hear our questions, that you will hear and um, our sighs, that you will, you will incarnate with us and continue to incarnate with us as we venture into these places of pain, of questions. And sometimes the unjust judges will hear us. Many times they will not. But allow us to never tire from, from asking, to never tire from, um, from holding hands, from being uh, in solidarity with those who, who weep, who rail at an unjust judge and give us better imaginations of saying that never will someone crowd for justice on their own. Never will someone uh, lack bread because they didn't have community around them. Or we were not generous. So God, our mother, take us in. Embrace us more. Because we need you. We need your sustenance. Um, in your name we pray. Amen. 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 Thanks, dear sister. Yeah, thanks, Carol. So good. The Inverse Podcast is proudly supported by you, the listener. And if you want to join the revolutionaries who are helping us have conversations about how this ancient text can still turn the world upside down, why don't you head over to patreon.com slash inverse.